big numbers all over women's basketball and women's sports. Alex Simon of Bay Area News Group here to talk about all of it with us. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, a very happy Tuesday morning to you and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, thanking you for making us your first listen Every day, you can subscribe at YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, it isn't just me, it is the entire incredible team who covered the women's final four like you've never seen, who covers this sport every day. The nexthoops.com, $9 a month, $72 a year. Build the women's sports and the women's basketball infrastructure you want to see in the world because there's a lot to cover. And in segment one, we're going to talk about one number, 9.9 million, and what that means, the audience, of course, for the women's final. I was there in Dallas. Alex Simon, who's done tremendous work reporting about this for Bay Area News Group. I, I think he's written at the next at some point in the past, memory serves as well. Once or twice. Once or twice. And then segment two, we're going to be talking about a different number that is basketball adjacent, but very much matters for basketball. And that is $53 million. And that is the amount of money spent on expansion fee alone, part of a $125 million initial investment in NWSL in the Bay Area. What is that going to mean for the Bay Area? And what is that going to mean more specifically for our neck of the woods for WNBA expansion? But Alex, welcome to the show. I want to start with what your initial reaction was when that 9.9 million number, 12.6 for a peak, 9.9 million tuned in to watch LSU versus Iowa, the final. And that didn't even include me because I was there. I was in person. So it was more like 10, you know, if you round up. But just what was your initial reaction to it? There's definitely some rounding up to do for people who were in person there. But, I, you know, I'd have watched, you know, I think. I think we knew it was going to be a big number, right? The previous record had been close to 6 million, but under the 6 million mark. Um, even I read uh, Paulson and Sports Media Watch, which does some excellent work in this space, Thank predicted you. a number at 7.12 million. So it was predicted to break any record it had. But 9.9 shatters records. And honestly, you know, at Sports Media Watch, they did the comparison. That's more than anybody has watched any single NHL game has gotten in the last 50 years, yeah. let alone, you know, any MLB playoff game, any NDA playoff game that are not the championship rounds for those mm. two sports. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a number that the, the gravity of its largesse is is probably shaking a lot of people's mindsets out of whatever preconceived box they had put women's sports because this number this is I, I checked this before this is the third largest audience out of any men's game from the first two weekends there was only two men's games in the college tournament that were bigger than that and it was the sunday 5 15 network television spot hey howard what what time and what channel was the national championship game on 3 30 eastern time 
And it was on ABC or ESPN. Which one was it on? I think it was on ABC, which would be network television. It's amazing what happens when you put something in a spot where it can be seen by a wider volume of people that a wider volume of people come watch, right? It, just, it, it does blow my mind that people were still surprised when NWSL was put on CBS in prime time last year for the championship game. And that number blew away previous things. It's, it's, it is not a magic trick. Give people access to this incredible product and they will go see it and they will watch and look, it. And, and I got to say for, as you know, it's funny, I, I will not name a person who I texted, but I did text a college basketball coach about this yeah. and the quip that I got back was basically, can you imagine if we had better officiating in that game? <laughs> and, and the crazy part about it is like that game was maybe the least compelling of the three games we saw in Dallas, just no in the doubt. way it played out on the court. Mm -hmm. And we're still seeing numbers that big. And it's in part because of the gravitas of the star power right now, yes. not just in women's basketball period, but very narrowly in college basketball on the women's side no um, doubt about it i mean everyone 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 needs to see addison o'grady play as soon as possible i agree with you and then to a certain extent of course caitlin clark and angel reese as well and so i i mean listen i will just tell you anecdotally right i had loads of people in my life who know i cover the game and who understand that in the abstract but don't necessarily follow day to day who are asking me not just like who is Caitlin Clark, but like very specific things about like how does they, she they already know who Caitlin Clark is, right. and they're asking you the second level question, not who, was, but what. It was just such a beautiful thing to see, and so I I did I loved it. I got loads of complaints about the officiating in my text messages. As we're going, everyone from like a small person who lives in my house right through to people who have said to me and, you know, not with any sort of malice, like, yeah, I just don't follow the game. And they were there and they were they were watching it. And, and again, it goes back to, you know, and I've, I've seen this so many times anecdotally is just these are people who love basketball and it's not even in these cases misogyny. It's not. It is, it's reflective misogyny, right? It's misogyny that leads to these games being put in difficult places to find. And then people who would otherwise be all about it, not being able to find it and not being willing to do the work. It's, and, it's yeah, yeah, work. baked in misogyny from just That's years right. of being put in a very specific window in a very specific lane. And look, like there's been a lot of choices that have been made on the NCAA side that have, I think, borne incredible fruit. I actually think the decision at one point to switch from a Sunday, Tuesday, final four weekend to a Friday, Sunday is a, has turned out to be a brilliant decision. 100%. And if you look Monday morning, if you were watching across the various ESPN platforms that have first taken, now mind you, the, the championships on ESPN entity, right. but like. In the past, there have been times where even the championship being an ESPN entity meant that they would lead with the men's coverage and still then come back to the thing that ESPN itself shows. First take, all of those shows were constantly about this. On the Monday of the men's national championship game, they were talking about a game that already happened on the women's side. That was the discussion leader. And even just kind of culturally and anecdotally to see that shift is only it's kind of the numbers beget the culture beget and all of this, but these things are happening concurrently. 
And it really couldn't be timed better for the NCAA and for this, for the college game to radically shift here coming forward. To me, and I wrote about this last week at the nine, there's a lot of people who are saying, oh, Caitlin Clark is responsible for this. And, and, and it's, it's more complicated than that. It's, of course, not the case. She's being given some sort of assignment, some sort of obligation that women's basketball players have been given. You know, I went back to Diana Tarazi and you found identical quotes about Tarazi to what you're seeing about Clark from 20 years ago. But you can go back to Ann Myers Drysdale. I was going to say, I was going to say Rebecca Lobo. Right. In that sense, too. Annie. I mean, it's just, you know, this idea of like, hey, there's this baked in um, uh, thing you need to overcome. Can you do it by yourself? And it's idiotic. Right. But there is a part and and it's Angel, too. It's Angel Reese just as much as Caitlin Clark, which is to say there's opportunities now. There's a larger platform now. And these two specifically know how to maximize it, know how to take advantage of it. Angel Reese and her ability to use TikTok, her ability to create these moments is as significant as just about anyone I have ever seen in this game. I, you know, I, my test in situations like this is I go to my older daughter who's 13 and I, and I talk to her about, you know, like, tell me about her TikTok. What is it like? And she's just like, it's incredible what she's doing. Howard, and let me take people behind the scenes just as a family friend of yours at this point. Yes. Your older daughter is not the hyper sports focused one no, out of your two. That is very true. That is very true. My younger daughter is the one who, and I'll share a video with you by text message after this, because Rachel caught it. My wife caught it of um, that. She is just like in a chair like two feet away from the television, screaming at the TV as she's watching the national title game. But but you at home get to see that this is seeping beyond just the traditional sports fan route. And what Angel, let alone what Angel does on Twitter, where she has be, has she has really quickly taken a, a path from villain to hero, in part because of the first lady on Monday, which is something we can get into later. But oh my goodness, look, the, the, the kids, as they say, they mm. get it. And they get it in their own way and are going to change the world for the better the way that they change the world all the time. And it's so just, uh, it's just so beautiful to see because there have been, you know, been at this a while and there have been these stories. Imani Mudi Stafford um, had this fantastic quote tweet where somebody was talking about, you know, oh, it wasn't misogyny. You just needed the right storyline you know people need to be entertainers and Imani who was very much an entertainer as well as a six foot seven basketball player who was very skilled was basically saying you didn't just say you're new to women's basketball you don't need to expose yourself like this and that's the idea is that for so many of us have been behind the scenes seeing this happening and seeing the muted response because of the lack of opportunity for them to be able to go out there and show the wider world with the capable of is this beautiful thing. Um, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about the first lady thing. I'm just so aggravated about it. I've just, it's, you know, that, that you want to talk about. I mean, she got a lot of people on Angel Reese's side very quickly who were maybe not on Angel Reese's side going into Monday. So, you know, Dr. Jill Biden, for those who didn't hear it, was saying, Oh, both teams should be there. And no, no, Iowa's got a real good chance next year of being there in their own right. They can earn it. 
they let's, can very easily earn let, it next let's year. Honor, let's honor the champs, shall we? And to the victor go the spoils. I believe is the phrase. Not, not the McDonald's this time around. But before we get to the second number, which is fifty-three million, I do want to talk to you guys about a new sponsor we have here called Game Time. Game Time URL is GameTime.co, but you can also just go and get the app uh, Game Time and buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I live in a house with a Taylor Swift super fan who was very upset about how difficult it was to get those tickets. Of course, we are on a regular basis trying to get the family to Mets games, to Liberty games. And so I'm excited that Game Time is here. Uh, I understand, Alex, that you have some experience with Game Time as well. Can you tell me about it? I've used Game Time for over five years, actually. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, is without question out of all of the ticket purchasing apps that you can have. Game Time is the one that has the easiest user experience. It shows you literally what the view looks like from your seat when mm -hmm. you go into the app to kind of see, hey, if I purchase a seat, this is what my view is going to look like at the venue for this baseball game, whatever. I... I I am a personal fan of the Game Time app, and it is where I go to first out of all of the ticketing websites and apps if I'm looking to purchase a ticket. You can do it day of the game, which is amazing. And Game Time guarantee even means you'll get the best price, too. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less elsewhere, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So download the Game Time app, create an account. And use the code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create the account, redeem the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yesterday's price is not today's price, is the thing that Angel Reese said when we were talking to her post-game in Dallas. And the same clearly applies to the NWSL. And why are we talking about NWSL? It will become clear in a moment. No, they are not expanding into also playing basketball. But my favorite stat is that there have been three expansion teams recently added. And one of them locked in at yesterday's price, and that was the Utah Royals, right? And they did that uh, about a year and a half ago, and it was $2 million. Alex, what was today's price? Not yesterday's price, today's price in the Bay Area, and a story you did wonderfully well over a Bay Area news group. Yeah, the uh, new majority investor, Alan Waxman in 6th Street, uh, made it clear that the expansion fee that they had to pony up to join the NWSL was $53 million to just get in the league. Mm -hmm. They are also going to invest significantly more I think they said 35 to 50 million into building their own, what they called world-class training facility. That'll be specific to that team. They're going to use a total of 125 million for the fee, the training facility and the initial club infrastructure. Uh, they are, they are doing it big. If you will, Howard, there is something both infuriating and amazing at the same time for a person like me who has covered this lead for a long time, to hear somebody say that much money is going into a training facility when on the flip side, I covered a team at Sky Blue FC that used to put players in trash cans filled with ice to recover and not that long ago. So such things are possible. It is delightful that they are happening here. 
I will say in the Bay Area, that means that like five million is just for land. So like, well, I know, I know. <laughs> it maybe doesn't go as far as it could in other parts of the country, but it, it's That's it's true. certainly um, we've kind of had a report from the Wall Street Journal back in January that was going to take this. That kind of was the point where we knew this might be coming, but to see it happening and to see how much everything here with this team is there, especially because of the, of the, again, the same type of moment of opportunity that right now is the NWSL is at the end of a three-year television deal after this current season. And for as much as this ownership group, which is led by four former women's national team stars. I think people, even on the Lockdown Women's Basketball Podcast, might have heard of uh, Brandy Chastain, mm-hmm. Ali Wagner, for yeah. example, as two of those four. Uh, yeah. I, the, they believe fully, Waxman has said this, he thinks they are structurally undervalued. And that by getting in now, you know, yeah. even five to seven years from now, it's going to look like it, it's paid off handsomely for them. It's going to look silly. Is what it's going to look like in register. It's the difference, and I've I've used this phrase over and over again. Men's sports is a developed economy. Women's sports is a developing economy. And when you look at the difference between those two things, the percentages, the scale, the rate of return is just off the charts, and it, it is astonishing to see in real time happening this quickly. But it is not surprising to see if that makes any sense. There's a whole lot of us who have been sitting here saying. Well, this is just a matter of when, not if. And the fact that we're at that when moment is a particularly lovely thing. I I do want to talk to you a little bit about what this specifically means for this market and in general, the WNBA. And to, you know, give our listeners a little bit of context, the WNBA was talking uh, a big game about having a team by the end of 2022, having an expansion team by the end of 2022. And we know that there is not just one, but multiple ownership opportunities in the Bay Area. The Bay Area makes sense for so many different reasons. There's almost, it's almost unfathomable to me, if I'm being honest with you, and I always am. It is almost unfathomable to me that the same market that was able and willing to get a group together to pay $53 million for NWSL has not yet satisfied the WNBA to the point that the W is willing to expand into the Bay Area. And so you've done a lot of reporting on this. Do you, Am I wrong about this? Am I off base on it? What, you know, what are your thoughts here? I, I'm certainly, and I will continue to do reporting on this, especially today with the news, but Good. I certainly think there there would be a lot of people that if you, even back in 2020, 2021 had asked, you know, what will be announced first, a Bay Area women's basketball team or a Bay Area women's soccer team, a WNBA or NWSL team, a lot of people would have lost money today on the fact that an NWSL team is first in the Bay, Uh, you you being one of them, clearly. But um, yeah, I mean, the crazy part, Howard, is like this, this would have, you know, it's a hypothetical, but this would have been the perfect moment. You have a local Santa Cruz native, San Jose high school star, Stanford national champion in Haley Jones going in this draft. And if you did have a WNBA expansion team coming this year in the Bay Area, that's a player that you could build the entire organization around right now. Now, I don't think it ever would have happened this quickly, even if you were expanding last calendar year in 2022. Could have been 2021, I'm just saying. But but more to the point, you know, Haley is somebody who hasn't been alive for there to be a professional basketball team in the Bay Area at all. 
it's been since the ABL still existed in 98, its final year that the Bay Area has had a professional women's basketball team at the top level. Um, they've had a couple of women's soccer teams that were in the various leagues right. for this team to be getting into the league later, I think is actually a better thing that they didn't just rush back into the Bay, but they've waited, they've let things grow. They found a stable ownership structure. They're working out all of the rest of the details very quickly, but it mm. seems as if this market, not having a pro women's team with how large of a market it is, how much the Bay area wants to be behind causes like this. Mm. I think, uh, the NWL is going to be very happy that they were first, basically. Back I here. am sure you're right, and I, I, it, it it's hard to fathom. Is I just keep going back to it. It's hard to fathom what what has gone awry here, and I don't think it's too late. To be clear, I don't think it's too late. I think that team is going to do very well once it happens. But yeah, it, it's. And- and I, sh- I should also make sure to note for people who don't know, the Bay Area is a pretty large place, even if you are in San Jose with a soccer team. Mm-hmm. It's not very easy to get into San Francisco. If that's where a basketball team goes, you can kind of serve the whole market with pretty good ease and not necessarily be as directly competitive as you might otherwise think you are. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly, you know, if people are going to want to have the cool women's sports merchandise, and the NWSL has all of that for the Bay Area team when they unveil all of their branding and logos and whatnot. There's not a WNBA counter for the local fans to do that with. And so I'm, I will be very curious to see what the being first bump is that the NWSL team will be able to get here. And we even heard from PHF Commissioner Raiden Carey this morning talking about it and cooperating across women's sports lines, obviously trying to get on the train as well train is uh leaving the station if uh, as angel reese once said <clears throat> that yesterday's price is not today's price today's price is not tomorrow's price so it's going to be very interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens uh there is a direct tie-in to the 9.9 million to circle back to that audience i want to talk to you about in a second and it relates directly to the price of what's coming up in women's college basketball First, however, I want to talk to you about BetterHelp. And this show is this show is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp gives you the opportunity to go online and talk about a time where you learn something new about yourself, to be able to talk to an experienced, licensed therapist, to be able to help you work through something that you're struggling with. It is so vital that we do this work on ourselves. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA, and you can get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on NBA. Make sure you are taking care of yourself in every way you need to. I was aggravated when I saw people within the NCAA talking about the fact that, well, if we separate women's basketball from the rest of NCAA rights, that you might lose out on the chance to elevate other sports 
that somehow, despite the fact that we are seeing women's basketball have a moment where it can, should, must cash in, that that was a perfectly fine path for men's college basketball to take. But somehow we were going to ask women's college basketball to do the heavy lifting, right? Maybe like, maybe stop asking women to do all the work all the time instead of getting what's coming to them. I don't know. Just a sort of a big picture thing. And so I say that because 9.9 million is a huge number. And you had a terrific piece recently over at Bay Area News Group about the fact that you can start to do the math now of like, what is a unit worth if you start using the unit measure for how teams are paid for advancing or even arriving in the NCAA tournament on the women's side the way you do for the men? So take us through sort of how you did that math, number one. And number two, now that we have this 9.9 million, how does that change your math? Well, I definitely will get to that second point because it does change the math. But basically, when the Kaplan report came out after the 2021 gender equity review, they put at least, you know, a various amounts of here's our projections for what the woman's side could get if it was sold as its own entity, which was significantly more than the $34 million a year that ESPN pays for the whole non-football, non-men's basketball sum right. of Division One top-level athletics. Mm-hmm. So if you break it out, I use the estimate that was the high end of the one Kaplan estimate, which was $112 million. Yeah, and effectively on the men's side with their number, which is I think eight hundred sixty-seven point five million, mm-hmm. which they deserve. We should be clear: the ratings do bear out; they deserve that. No, the ratings no on the, bad that the yeah. men's basketball gets what it gets. No, but they they create a basketball performance fund that rewards teams for making the tournament and winning games. It's basically you get a unit for each game you play in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. up to the national championship game. Mm-hmm. So if we brought that exact same model to the women on the men's side, a unit is worth 338,211. Okay. And I basically just duplicated the math from the men's side and the woman's unit using the high end estimation, which was 112 million mm-hmm. is 43,655, mm-hmm. which, you know, is not insignificant is what I had yeah. from somebody say, in fact, Tara Vandeveer is quoted in my story saying that's significant. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, the, the numbers are going to change because I think that $112 million estimate does not factor in a 103% growth year over year for a national championship game. Okay. That is obscene. And that has, I mean, if I'm Charlie Baker, the new president of the NCAA, if I wasn't already thinking about doing this, like I almost don't have a choice at this point because that number, like you will handcuff the women's basketball the way that you have been. If you don't break it out separate and you might be able to, I, I, I mean, I don't know this with certainty, but like 150 million a year, mm-hmm. 200 million a year, if you're putting up 10 million for a championship game and more to the point, you put up 5 million and four, almost 4 million for the two final four games, you're putting up wow. multiple $1 million games throughout the first two weekends. I, I think it was what 2.499, so 2.5 million for Iowa Louisville's Elite Eight game. Okay. If you're putting these up, that's the exact thing that gets the men's side into the near a billion a year. Correct. I don't think the woman, I, I think this number is going to maybe come, like it wouldn't shock me, I guess, to see that number double from the initial estimate and because of the growth that's 
the, like you said, it's a there's a growth opportunity here beyond just what we've seen. And that turns your unit into hundred thousand uh, dollars rather than forty three. If you just and, do the and, back of the napkin. And the way that they pay out the units basically is it gets paid to each conference, and the conference has a little bit of choice as to how they do it. But <laughs> most conferences just split the unit evenly. A unit is paid out. You get whatever unit you get, you get that amount of money each year for six years mm -hmm. at the unit value. So I used the 2021 Pac-12's performance when they had two teams in the national championship game. And and basically down, down math from there, you know, one unit, six years, this many units, which I think was 18. Mm -hmm. Each school took home almost $400,000 based off of one single tournament's performance. But if that number, like you said, that number is based off of a unit measurement in the mid 40,000 range. If that unit measurement is like 80,000, just keep doubling it. There, there is all sorts of opportunity here. And um, yeah, I have to imagine that, you know, the timing, I, I, I want to keep saying this, the timing for this to happen could not be better for women's basketball because of the fact that they are in the window this summer where the NCAA probably will arrange its next media deal. And it, it's time to capitalize. What did Angel Reese say? <laughs> I think it's something about uh, changing prices. That's right. That's right. The wisdom of Angel Reese. Well, Alex Simon, Bay Area News Group, friend of family and podcast alike. Always great to see you. Appreciate all your wisdom on this. To our listeners, we will be joined tomorrow by the great Gabriella Lewis talking about LSU's championship, the SEC writ large, and the 23 stories she wrote in March. And I am looking forward to all of that. Thank you to everyone for listening to Lockdown Women's Basketball and making it your first listen today. Now make your second listen. There's not just women's sports in the Bay Area, but there is a men's league. I've gotten a lot of people talking to me about, oh my God, there's no basketball now that the national championship is done until May 19th when the WNBA starts. And I will be honest with you, I, those people are a little short-sighted, right? Who are just, you know, they're missing an entire, um, an entire side of the sport. Um, out it's called the NBA. Do I have that right? The National Basketball Association? Yeah, even once you get past the draft on Monday, since, you know, the draft is the long off season for so many of these college players. But yeah, the, there's a men's NBA that kind of plays basketball and will uh, have their playoffs starting soon. So I would encourage you, if you love the game, um, you have an opportunity to fill a little time between now and May 19th, when you can obviously turn your full attention back to the WNBA. It's called Game to Game NBA. Everybody. Okay, I always want to make sure I'm pronouncing that right. Every moment, every top performance, every result, Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. There's a, there's a guy who I hear keeps getting Caitlin Clark comparisons who plays in the Bay Area. Um, Stephen Curry, is it? Is it Stephen Curry? Am I saying Stephen. Stephen Curry? Okay. And and I hear he might just be the key to saving men's basketball. Is that true? He has done quite the quite he's made quite the difference here in the Bay Area, to say the least. Oh, good for him. 
Good for him. He even I, and and he even's got a sister who played college volleyball. If you didn't know, fantastic all around. I I'm I I'll have to look into the Steph Curry person more to get us through the basketball times until the W season starts. Thank you, Alex Simon. Thank you to our listeners. We'll be back with you tomorrow. We're with you every day. <clears throat> until then, I am Howard Meddal, wishing you a wonderful Tuesday. Welcome to Wallet. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. 